Well, I think we've got the gremlins worked out of the system. I hope so. Uh, it is Eric Erickson here across the state of Georgia. Uh, all sorts of stuff happening this morning. Uh, and and my apologies to everybody uh, for the downtime. Now, I want to do what I intended to do out of the gate here and give you the update of how this viral situation is spreading around the state of Georgia. Uh, you know, so they update this every day at noon, and now they started updating at 7 o'clock as well. Uh, so the update will come at noon. But here's where we are as of 7 p.m. last night. 620 cases, 25 deaths. Um, the, the breakdown here, 1% of cases uh, age uh, up to 17. 60% of cases are in the 18 to 59 range. 36% of cases are in the 60 and up range. And uh, 6% of cases are, un, or 3% of cases rather unknown. Very notable 60% of cases are 18 to 59. Contrary to all the initial reports that even I shared here, based on the available data, was that this affected people 60 and older the most. Turns out it's it's not. Uh, also, 50% female, 48% male, 1% unknown. Uh, now, here's the breakdown by county by county, and I'm going to do an order of cases. Uh, so 111 in Fulton, 67 in Cobb, 56 in Bartow, 53 in DeKalb, 52 in Darty, 27 in Gwinnett, 18 in Cherokee, 16 in Lee, 16 in Carroll, 13 in Clayton, 10 in Richmond, 10 in Clark, 9 in Coweta, 9 in Fayette, 9 in Floyd, 9 in Hall, 8 in Lowndes, 7 in Henry, 5 in Forsyth, 4 in each of these counties, Chatham, Douglas, Glenn, Gordon, Newton, Paulding, and Polk, and Troop, 3 in each of these counties, Columbia, Lamar, and Peach, Two in each of these counties, Baldwin, Butts, Early, Effingham, Lawrence, Muskogee, Oconee, Pickens, Rockdale, Spalding, Sumter, Terrell, Tift, Whitfield, and Worth. And then one in each of these counties, Barrow, Bibb, Charlton, Chattooga, Clinch, Coffee, Dawson, Hurd, Houston, Lincoln, Lumpkin, Miller, Monroe, Randolph, Tattnall, Turner, and Twiggs. There are 27 uh, unknown counties, uh, 27 cases. We don't know the counties those people are in. Now, what is notable here is uh, the continued spread is mostly in the metro area still. It is spreading throughout the state. Uh, some of these are holding steady at one or two cases. The problem is that we continue as well to get reports from doctors and nurses, even here in middle Georgia where I am, broadcasting from Macon. Uh, that uh, they are seeing cases that they presume to be COVID-19 because it's people with flu-like symptoms, but they are uh, they, they don't have a positive flu test. So they presume they are. Nationally right now, we're at 35,225 infections. Now, this is raising uh, uh, some concerns among people on the right to, to be mindful of that is the cure worth it? And I suspect there are people out there who, who are thinking, no, it's not. Uh, and, and some of you may think um, this is all ridiculous and overblown. I'm happy to let you vent your concerns as well. I know people are cooped up. Uh, 877-97-ERIC is the phone number, 877-973-7425. The big issue, though, right now is the stimulus plan. The Federal Reserve has, uh, in the last 45 minutes now, uh, jumped in to enact some plans to calm the market. The Dow yesterday, or on Friday rather, closed down another 900 points. And it is um, it is uh, hoping to rebound this morning uh, as the Federal Reserve stepped in. The, the markets tanked in the futures trades. In fact, they suspended Dow futures tradings because the market fell. The, the futures tra- down were down 6% after the Democrats scuttled their stimulus plan. 
And because the Democrats scuttled the sim- stimulus plan, the uh, the markets got queasy, the Republicans got enraged, and even the New York Times initially was blaming the Democrats for it. They went through three headlines at the New York Times uh, to try to explain what happened in the Senate yesterday. It was kind of funny. Uh, let me um, let me read you the headlines here. This was the initial headline in the New York Times yesterday. Democrats block action on $1.8 trillion stimulus. That was the initial New York Times headline. Now, they revised it about an hour later to Democrats block action on stimulus plan seeking worker protection. And final headline from the New York Times, partisan divide threatens deal on rescue bill. That's where we stand right now, uh, that it's no longer the Democrats. It's a partisan divide. Uh, I want to walk you through some of this because we have real world data on how the New York Times handled the TARP bailout uh, and handled. Remember the the um, the debt limit extension? Conservatives in Congress were accused of being arsonists and hostage takers because they wanted a, a spending deal on the debt ceiling. Barack Obama called them arsonists and hostage takers and the media went along with it. And yet now it's it's they can't even bring themselves to say the Democrats are the ones who had done this. Uh, deeply, deeply troubling double standard by the media to walk you through. What is in the plan? What does Congress even plan to do with this? I'll give you the details on their plans and the breakdown of how it would play out for everyone when we come back right here on the Eric Erickson Show. We'll take your phone calls as well. It is Eric Erickson here, the Eric Erickson Show. All right, uh, now that we've gotten through all the technical hurdles of the morning, uh, l- let me give you the rundown of what happened in the Senate. Uh, and this is deeply problematic here uh, with what the Democrats did. The Democrats and the Republicans for a week now have been negotiating a second part of a stimulus plan. They passed the first part, which was authored by the Democrats and mostly focused on large corporations. The second part of the plan was being negotiated in the Senate to focus on uh, small businesses. And the third phase of this would be to focus on individuals. Uh, so the second phase, the Dick Durbin was the ranking Democrat negotiator negotiating the legislation in the Senate. Uh, It would essentially give no interest loans to small businesses. It would give individual Americans uh, the um, $1,200 if they were 70, made $75,000 or less, you would get $1,200. You would gradually, it would reduce up to $99,000. And at $99,000, it would shut off payments. Uh, It is still a terrible idea to means test this, uh, just given cost of living differences around the country. But nonetheless, that was where the Republicans went, among other things. Uh, and the Democrats uh, went along with the plan. Everybody was hunky-dory, okay, this is what we're going to do. And then Nancy Pelosi came back from vacation, and she had gone for a week, let the Senate Democrats negotiate this. They were putting it to a vote. She showed up and said, I've got my own plan, and the Democrats voted to filibuster their own plan. And it sent the markets careening. Uh, let me read you this. This is from a... a um, uh, ben White, he's an anal- he's a financial analyst, I think, for Politico. Uh, Dow futures sank five percent, or nine hundred fifty-four points, after the chaos in Washington over the stimulus plan. The limit down means trading was halted. The Nasdaq, the S and P, also down five percent after the Democrats filibustered the stimulus plan they themselves were voting for. Uh, the, the Democrats did this. The Democrats are the ones who scuttled the market. Right now, the markets are open. The Dow is down three hundred fifty-eight points already this morning after the Democrats began and decided to uh, scuttle the plan that they themselves were negotiating. That's not good, wise, or smart, and that's what they've done. And 
if you will recall, during the TARP uh, situation, the bank bailouts of 2008, when conservatives were the ones opposed to it, the media trashed the conservatives for standing in the way of helping ease the crisis. The New York Times, the Washington Post, CNN, MSNBC, they savaged, and frankly, Fox News did as well because the, the Republican leadership wanted it, and they savaged conservatives for standing in the way. The Wall Street Journal blasted the conservatives. Uh, everybody did. The New York Times, all of them, all the editorialists blamed conservatives on the economic chaos. Then, when the debt ceiling needed to be raised during the Obama administration, and conservatives decided if we're going to raise the debt ceiling, we need to actually get a plan to spend, to spend less money, the Obama administration, Barack Obama himself, called the conservatives in Congress arsonists and hostage takers. And it was repeated by the New York Times. It was repeated by CNN. It was repeated on MSNBC. It was repeated in the Washington Post. Uh, they all called these conservatives hostage takers and arsonists for daring to want to offset a debt limit increase with spending cuts. It was always conservatives who got the blame. It was the Republicans who got the blame. They name-checked the Republican Party. And in this situation today, it is the Democrats in the United States Senate who blocked the Republican effort for a stimulus for small businesses. After having negotiated the package for a week, Democrats decided they were going to block it because Nancy Pelosi said so. So what happened? The media refused to blame Republicans. They blamed partisanship. Some of them blamed mixed signals by the Trump administration. It is predictable, but the problem here is that it, it at a time the media actually needs some credibility, they're not getting that credibility. You know, the best solution, honestly, and, and, and don't say I don't offer any solutions here. The solution, the best solution is actually to break these bills apart and, and do them incrementally. Marco Rubio wants to give small business loans, no interest. Put that in legislation. The Democrats want to give uh, checks to, to each American of $3,000. Put that in legislation. The Republicans want to give, um, they want to give money to major financial institutions to make sure that they're taking care of consumers. Put that in legislation. The Democrats want to make sure no one defaults on their mortgages and no one gets evicted because they can't pay rent for the next few months. Puts that in legislation. Put each of these in individual pieces of legislation. Let them be negotiated on. See, it, Washington and the lobbyist community favors comprehensivism because in comprehensivism, you can do a great big comprehensive piece of legislation and you can throw little things in that no one pays attention to for lobbyists and it, everything flies under the radar. You do that, though, and you're undermining the integrity of the process. You're passing majorly comprehensive legislation that no one understands. Look just last weekend what happened. The Democrats in the House of Representatives rushed through, sight unseen, a piece of legislation. It was several hundred pages long. It wound up having a longer package of corrections to fix the legislation than the initial legislation. The Republicans were given 11 hours to look at the legislation. The media attacked the Republicans. In fact, Mitch McConnell did not bring uh, the Senate back in over the weekend. He waited until Monday to deal with it. And the New York Times, the Washington Post, the major media outlets were savaging Mitch McConnell for daring to be partisan. Now, fast forward a week, Nancy Pelosi goes on vacation for a week, plays no role in negotiating the stimulus plan in the Senate at all. 
The Senate Democrats hammer it together. I mean, Chuck Schumer, for God's sakes, he went on uh, Wolf Blitzer show on Friday and was praising the bipartisan cooperation among the Democrats and the Republicans in the Senate. Nancy Pelosi lands in Washington, D.C., shows up and says she doesn't like it, and suddenly the Democrats scuttle their own plan. Don't tell me the Democrats aren't doing this. The Democrats today, as your 401k sinks further, it is the Democrats who did it. And the fact that the New York Times had to change their headline two times, I mean, again, the initial headline from the New York Times covering the story was Democrats block action on 1.8 trillion stimulus. The second headline, Democrats, same story, by the way, the story hasn't changed, just the headlines changed. The, the second headline for the same story, Democrats block action on stimulus plan seeking worker protections. And the third headline for the exact same story, partisan divide threatens deal on rescue bill. Is it any wonder no one pays attention to what the media has to say anymore? The phone number 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Michael in Kennesaw, uh, waiting patiently on the phone. Michael, welcome. Uh, thanks, uh, Eric. Uh, I'll get right to the point. Um, a couple quick uh, comments or questions. First, um, the quarantine. Is this basically worth another possible Great Depression? I mean, we had the Hong Kong flu, the you know, the, uh, all the other flu viruses, H1N1 swine, but we never quarantined. On the Laffler situation, um, isn't she um, eligible for due process? I mean, everybody wants her to be, you know, resign, put her in jail. But, you know, isn't she supposed to go through an ethics committee um, hearing first to determine whether or not she actually is guilty? Um, also, um, could Trump potentially get China to you know, wipe out our debt as compensation for all that has occurred. And what is basically the end game to all this um, elections, Senate, the House, all that good stuff? Oh, excellent questions. OK, so let, let's take them one at a time. Uh, we don't know yet if the quarantine is worth it. Um, this is one of those battle of the experts moments. And I want to spend a little more time on that in the next hour. Uh Right now, everyone's listening to the healthcare experts saying we've we've all got to lock ourselves away in our houses to stop this. Uh, now, I, I do want to let, let me use a little bit here because I keep getting this from people. And, and I know there are a lot of people out there who feel very much the same way. We didn't shut down the whole country for H1N1. We didn't shut down the whole country for the swine flu. And so there are a lot of people who are looking at this and saying, well, why are we overreacting now? And I don't think that's the way we should look at it. I, I think the way we should look at it is we didn't shut down the country for the bird flu. We didn't shut down the country for the swine flu. What makes this so much different that we're having to shut it down now? And the answer is orders of magnitude. That That's why. So with H1N1, with the bird flu, the swine flu, the rate of transmission was the same as the standard seasonal flu. One person infects 1.3 other people. With this flu, we now know it's actually more contagious, up to three people. Here's the vice president talking about this. But secondly, every single American can put into practice the principles of our 15 days to slow the spread. The president's coronavirus guidelines, as I said, we're six days in. Uh, and uh, uh, the purpose of these is, is not because every American is at risk of serious illness. As we said before, uh, all our experts tell us, all the data shows, 
that the risk of serious illness to the average American remains low. But because the coronavirus is, we think, three times more contagious than the flu, to slow the spread, to literally lower that curve and, and spare Americans around our country with being exposed to or contracting the coronavirus, or worse, every single one of us can put these principles into practice. Now, this is the relevant point that everyone around here, and listen, I'm in middle Georgia, and if I come into contact, in fact, I had to go to Publix yesterday, and I'm trying to keep my distance from people, uh, but ran into a listener, and the listener at Publix was saying, just rolling his eyes about this and saying, this is, this is just the flu. Everybody gets the flu. But it's not. H1N1 was the flu. That's the one everyone references. That was essentially the flu. The mortality rate was the same. The rate of passage was the same. This is something different. It is flu-like, but it is different. Instead of one person spreading it to 1.3 people, one person we now know spreads it to three people. The initial presumption was 2.3 people, which was uh, more than the flu, but now we know it's up to three people. And by the way, this is not this is not an I guess that this is fairly well at this point established that one person infects three other people as opposed to the flu, one point three other people. We also know that eighty five percent of the people who get this are going to have mild symptoms. Some will have no symptoms. But what we also know is that a lot of the people who get it will need hospitalization and there aren't enough hospital beds to go around. That's why they're asking people to socially distance. That's why they're asking people to stay home because it's not about whether or not you're going to die. It's never been about if you're going to die. It's about the number of people who are going to need hospital beds, and we don't have enough in this country. Uh, I am in middle Georgia broadcasting the show. I am actually in Macon, Georgia broadcasting the show. There is a hospital just south of me, uh, not in my county. It is south of me, and they are almost short of medical supplies given the people who are coming in uh, and and having to be treated and having to be seen, many of them with flu-like symptoms, none of them testing positive for flu. Uh, the doctors are presuming that it is, is the Wuhan virus that has spread. A lot of people will need intubation. Take Bruce Thompson. Bruce Thompson is a member of the state Senate here in Georgia. He is a, a healthy guy. And he wound up having to be put in ICU and intubated. They had to stick a tube down his throat and put him on a ventilator uh, because he got this virus. That doesn't happen to everybody, but it happens to a lot of people. And for a month, I've been telling you guys, this mostly impacts people 60 and over. And in the real world data that we now have in the United States, that's not true anymore. Uh, The majority of the people getting sick are actually people under the age of 60. And a significant number of the people who need ICU are under the age of 60. The virus spreads, and it is very contagious, and it puts people in the hospital, even the people who don't die. You may not die from it. Most people are not going to die from it if they get it. Uh, But 10% of those people will need to be in the hospital minimum, and 1% of people will die from this. So let's let's treat this like the seasonal flu. Let's treat this like H1N1. Let's treat it like H1N1 because that's what everybody compares this to. Um, H1N1, we didn't shut down the whole country for H1N1. Okay, if you get H1N1, um, three-tenths of the population in the worst-case scenario would die. In this case, thus far, 1% of people are dying. So let's treat it with the seasonal flu now. In the seasonal flu, a tenth of the population that gets it dies. 
So 35,000 people a year die from the seasonal flu. Are you prepared for 350,000 people to die from this? But wait, there's a catch. With the flu, there's a vaccine for it. With this, there's no vaccine for it. So with the flu, you can get the vaccine for it, and that reduces the, the mortality rate of it. This, there's no vaccine. So you're 350,000 people dying, which is, again, 10 times the number that, that died of the seasonal flu, is more like 650,000 to a million people. Are you prepared to see a million Americans die uh, because you've decided that this virus is no big deal? I mean, that, that's a question you got to answer yourself. And for some people, yes, they'll say it's not worth it to me, my 401k, my family and the economy, uh, let them die. There are people out there making that argument right now. And if you are, okay, fair argument, I suppose. Uh, putting the, the economy above above health. I personally think uh, if all of us stay home for 10 days, the virus goes away. We stop the spread of the virus. If we all just stayed home for 10 days, the virus would largely go away. We would save lives and the economy could be picked back up again. Uh, but we're we're not doing that. And, and in fact, in Georgia, Brian Kemp is starting to get some heat because he's not willing to shut down the state. And by the way, I don't blame Brian Kemp at all. I think he's doing a good job. Uh, but location, uh, local communities need to. In, in, in New York, they did not treat this virus seriously. In New York City, they didn't treat it seriously. It's funny to see Bill de Blasio uh, blasting Donald Trump's leadership when Bill de Blasio himself refused to treat this virus seriously. In New York City, they're now almost out of medical supplies, and they're having to turn a, a convention center into a makeshift hospital and put the non-infected people in the makeshift hospital so that they can put all the people with the virus in the hospital. They don't do that for the seasonal flu. So for all of you who are still saying this is just like the regular flu or this is just like H1N1, they didn't have to convert a convention center into a hospital in New York City for the H1N1 or the seasonal flu. Nobody ran out of medical supplies for those. So clearly there's something going on here. So instead of saying it's just like all these other things, maybe we should look at what's actually happening and say, wait, this is actually far more serious than those things. Okay, so there is a, f a somewhat humorous aspect to this that, that if we're going to find some level of humor in this, he here's the thing. People don't know how to respond politically right now to this virus situation. The, the Democrats are, are trying to politicize it, but they've now got their potential nominee in Joe Biden, and he doesn't know what to do. He's been trying to do these video press conferences. One of the things that he wants to do now is do shadow briefings after the White House briefing. It, it is kind of funny. A lot of the reporters, Margaret Sullivan, who's one of the, the um, people who covers the media at the Washington Post. She used to be the ombudsman for the New York Times. She's been blasting the White House for months and months for not having press conferences. So now they're having press conferences, and now she's like, ah, we don't need to run these press conferences. We shouldn't be covering these things. Rachel Maddow uh, was blasting the White House for saying that, that for not having press briefings, that clearly they're hiding something. So now they're doing press briefings every day. She's like, oh, we're going to get people killed if we run all the president's press briefings. He lies so much. We shouldn't have the American public listen to this. Coincidentally, coincidentally, his approval rating is going up. Have you seen this? Uh, the ABC News Washington Post poll has the president's approval of handling this virus at 56%. They gave it all of 10 seconds on the ABC News coverage. And now there's this. This is Jeff Zeleny talking with, I think, John King over at CNN. But Biden trying to say, I've been there. I can pull the levers of government. I'm very different. He is. He's trying to say that. The question is who's listening and is that being heard? The Biden campaign is 
you know, dealing with several things. One, they are trying to uh, become the general election nominee here. Bernie Sanders is still in, but they are looking beyond him. But they're not quite ready for this moment. I mean, Joe Biden is an old-fashioned, handshaking politician. It was clear that they are not ready for the uh, communications uh, required for this. I was on that uh, conference call with him on Friday afternoon, and it was an old-fashioned conference call that barely made um, any news coverage. But (laughs) But barely made any, he doesn't know what to do. The Democrats, uh, politically, no one really knows how to respond. And the president wants to be out holding rallies right now for campaign 2020, and he can't do it either. The difference, though, is that the president gets the spotlight by having these press briefings every day. The president gets out there. He gets to to say what's on his mind. He gets to have the vice president out there as well, and everybody's loving it. And we get Dr. Fauci out there. Now, here's the president at yesterday's press briefing. Just to follow up on that, are you willing to work directly with Speaker Pelosi? uh, Whoever we have to, we have to help the American worker. We have to help the countries from which the American workers, I mean, they came out of these companies that were doing phenomenally well. You saw where payroll was going way up, where wages were going way, way up. There's never been a time like this. We can't lose those companies, and we want the worker to be happy. And we're being, I think, more generous than anybody's ever been. We want to take care of the worker, but we want to make sure that when we win the war, it's only a question of it's when, not if. When we win the war against the virus, we want to make sure those companies are ready to charge forward, not that they've been disbanded because we were penny-wise and... Dollar foolish. Well, look, the president's willing to throw money at the problem. We, we've got a Republican president willing to throw money at a problem, and the Democrats are playing games and tanking the market today. The Fed stepped in, thankfully, to try to uh, calm the markets, and it looks like it may be working at this moment. Uh, 9.58 a.m., the, the NASDAQ is up six points. The Dow is down 212 points, the S&P down 25, New York Stock Exchange down 269. But it's not bad overall. That that's There there are reasons to be thankful for the situation right now. Uh, and, and maybe cooler heads will prevail today. But man, the, the media covering for the Democrats in a way they never would for the Republicans at a time we actually do need trust in the media to navigate what's going on is something to behold. Uh, the, the media right now has a public trust rating of 7% according to Gallup. That's the lowest it's ever been. And they're to blame. And they don't even recognize they're to blame on this. Now, when we come back, Georgia implications abound on this. And the Senate now has three members in quarantine. Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. The Eric Erickson Show across the state of Georgia. The phone number, if you want to be a part of the program, 877-97-ERIC. 877-973-7425. Let me give you the county-by-county breakdown. Again, they update this at noon. Uh, I, I got asked to start doing this at the beginning of the show uh, of each hour just to keep people updated as you tune in and out. And uh, this is the Georgia count right now, 620 cases in the state that will go up at noon today for sure, 25 deaths. I want to put some perspective on on all of this here in a minute. But uh, the breakdown in, in cases by county, 111 of them are in Fulton, that's Atlanta, 67 in Cobb County, 56 in Bartow County, 53 in DeKalb County, 52 in Darty County, 27 in Gwinnett County, 18 in Cherokee, 16 in Lee, 16 in Carroll. To give you some perspective on the Carroll County ones, by the way, uh, on Friday, the number was seven. So more than than doubling from Friday in Carroll County. 13 in, in Clayton County, 10 in Richmond County, 
10 in Clark County, 9 in Coweta County, 9 in Fayette County, 9 in Floyd County, 9 in Hall County, 8 in Lowndes County, 7 in Henry County, 5 in Forsyth County, 4 in each of these counties, Chatham, Douglas, Glenn, Gordon, Newton, Paulding, Polk, and Troop, 3 in Columbia County, Lamar County, and Peach County, Two in each of these counties, Baldwin, Butts, Early, Effingham, Lawrence, Muskogee, Oconee, Pickens, Rockdale, Spalding, Sumter, Terrell, Tift, Whitfield, and Worth. And one in each of these counties, Barrow, Bibb, Charlton, Chattooga, Clinch, Coffee, Dawson, Hurd, Houston, Lincoln, Lumpkin, Miller, Monroe, Randolph, Tattnall, Turner, and Twiggs, and there are 27 cases, or 20, yeah, 27 cases. We don't know their county of residence. Now, uh, the reason we got all of this going on here is um, I want to make sure everyone is kept informed, and I, I get a growing sense from people that this is no big deal. In fact, I, there, there are a lot of people, and the consensus seems to be this is no big deal. And where you live, it may be no big deal. There are a number of counties in Georgia that thus far are unaffected by this virus. Um, for example, uh, we broadcast uh, out of WCHM in Clarksville, and that's in Habersham County. And there are no cases in Habersham County. And all the way up to Northeast Georgia, there are, there are no cases all the way to the South Carolina and the North Carolina line. In fact, all the counties are, are up North Georgia. Um, there's only one that has a case of this virus. And so you're thinking it's no big deal. And this is all an overreaction. And I understand why you think that. And you're looking overall and you're seeing how many people have this in the United States. In fact, the number in the United States right now is um, we've got 35,241 cases right now. Only 473 people have died. And you're thinking this is a, a clear overreaction because the seasonal flu, you get uh, several million people get it, 35 million people get it, 35,000 people die. This is a clear overreaction, a, a, a clear betrayal of the economy. The, the Congress has tanked the economy, the, the government has tanked the economy. They've wiped out the economy for what? There are a lot of people who think that, and I encounter them on a daily basis in my email, in direct messages, uh, in, in the grocery store. Yesterday, I was trying to keep my distance from somebody in the grocery store who wanted to follow me around and talk to me. I'm like, dude, no, six feet apart. Stay away from me. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm I'm leaving my family at home while I go to the grocery store. Listen, I I... I I understand the problem, and I understand that a lot of people think this is overrated. And I want to try to put a little bit of perspective and context in it for you. The situation is not that you're going to die from this virus or even that you're going to get the virus. A lot of you, most of you, will not get it. Statistically speaking, most of you will not get it. There are these nightmare scenarios where they're saying 85% of Americans are going to be infected by this virus. Well, yes, if our behaviors don't change, and that's the key, and that's why we're, people are doing what they're doing. You know, I, I got to tell you as an aside here, right, this, this, it pains me to say it, but I was planning on going on vacation. Next week is our kids' spring break, and we were planning on going to Hilton Head. And we've had to move that to 4th of July week because 
Hilton Head is closing the island. They think is going to wind up closing the island to visitors because they've got a bunch of spring breakers trying to come in there. They don't want them to come spread the virus. And their local grocery stores are in short supply of stuff in a way they weren't last week. Uh, and they're afraid if, if a bunch of visitors come onto the island to go to the grocery stores, they're going to be out of everything. And so out of respect for the people for Hilton Head, a place I dearly love, and, and uh, my wife who has cancer, we don't want to risk her getting out and about as this virus spreads. We're just decided we're going to stay put. And I, I really wanted the break. And instead, I'll be here with you guys next week. I may take off this Friday, may take off next Friday, uh, take some Fridays off, if anything, to, to give myself a little more rest because I can tell right now I'm I'm working nonstop. Uh, last week, I, I was busier than I've ever been. I shouldn't say busier than I've ever been, busier than I've been in a while because everybody else is now home alone. And so all the people who never work from home are working from home and they're getting bored. Or they're saying, hey, Erickson works from home. Let's call and check in with him. The number of people who now text me during the show, I've had to turn my phone off uh, because I, I got people listening in real time. It's like, can you not hear me talking? How the heck do you think I'm going to respond to your message? Stop texting me while I'm talking on the radio. Had to turn it all off. It, it's amazing watching people who've never worked from home before suddenly trying to work from home and, and, and trying to be engaged and stuff and just stop, stop, leave me alone. The world has changed, and increasingly there are a bunch of people who are sitting in their house. They're wondering, good God, what are we doing? Why are we wrecking our economy for this? The problem is that most Americans disagree with you, and most Americans now realize the situation. And here is the situation. If this were the seasonal flu, we could expect upwards of a million people to die. If we went about our business and had not changed our livelihoods and, and our lives and our routines, we could expect a million people to die. Is that worth it for you to see a million Americans, particularly senior citizens, wiped out? That's what we're dealing with here. That's why this is different. That's why things have changed. That's why people are, are social distancing. That's why people are isolating. That's why people need to stay home. You know, it, it, the healthcare experts around the world are, are fairly unanimous and stuff. Now, experts don't always get it right. But when you have virtual unanimity globally, maybe you should pay attention instead of the, the Facebook meme or the Instagram meme you saw, uh, not written by an expert. The, the, part of the underlying issue here is the arrogance of experts in the past number of years telling Americans that they're dolts and, and they can't do anything and we need a professional technocratic class to run everything and they've been running stuff into the ground. Uh, everyone has destroyed their credibility in the last decade and so along comes a virus that is spreading around the world that actually is more contagious than the flu and kills more people than the flu and you got a lot of americans who don't want to listen to the experts because the experts have been such jerks uh, without any level of humility or any sense of recognizing when they're wrong in the past that nobody wants to believe them now and i can't blame people for that but i can look at the data myself and see okay uh, did we ever have to turn the J, uh, the, the, the Javits Center in New York City into a temporary hospital because of H1N1? No. Did the Navy ever have to send hospital ships to New York and Los Angeles to help with overflow patients during the seasonal flu? No. Did Seattle ever run out of health care supplies during H1N1? No. Did Houston County Medical in middle Georgia come short of masks or, or start to fall short of masks during the seasonal flu season? No. Did the city of Atlanta run out of hospital space for the swine flu? No. Did the city of Atlanta run out of hospital space for the seasonal flu? No. So there clearly must be something different about this viral situation than those situations. 
And yet, the prevailing sentiment from a lot of people is, oh, we never did this for those things. I don't know why we're doing it for now. Well, can you not assess the situation on the ground? Now, there's a level of humor in this for me, actually. And this is my my rather arrogant statement of the day, and I'm going to make it anyway. If you've been a listener to this program, this program started in August. And beginning in the end of January and through the entire month of February and into the beginning of March, if you've listened to this program, you have heard me say regularly that if this begins to spread in the United States, we were going to have problems. And when it began to spread on the West Coast, I started telling people, we're going to have problems. You need to start going to the grocery store and incrementally buying stuff. Do not run out and buy $1,000 of groceries like a friend of mine did. Go be incremental with your grocery store purchases. When you go out, buy an extra bag of pasta, buy an extra bag of beans, buy an extra can of sauce, buy an extra cans of of, uh, vegetables, buy frozen meats, buy things like that. Uh, Buy some eggs. They'll last a while. I've been telling people for over a month to do that. I've been telling people, slowly buy toilet paper. Don't go out and buy every roll in the store. Just buy buy a little extra toilet paper. And I've been telling people for a month and a half to do that on this program and on my other show. And by and large, I think my audience kind of got it, that something different was coming, and let's be prepared. And it it really is kind of hilarious to me to watch people I know in talk radio who have been saying openly that I'm scaring people and I'm making a big deal out of something that's not a big deal, who suddenly can't find toilet paper and can't find the stuff they want at the grocery store. Had they bothered, instead of ridiculing me, to actually listen to me for the past month and a half, they'd be okay right now. But instead, they decided it was no big deal. And I got to tell you, I, I'm personally a little appalled at the people who call themselves pro-life who are suddenly okay letting their grandma die so that they can go back to work. And there are a lot of those people out there, too. This is a different situation from the situations we've seen in the past. Uh, the, the problem is that a lot of people aren't behaving that way. In fact, a lot of people aren't behaving uh, in, in ways that are conducive to having anybody treat this seriously in the country. Now, there's also the situation of the federal government versus the state government. Uh, a lot of people want the president to put the entire country on a national lockdown, which the president cannot do, barring a declaration of war from Congress. It's got to be left up to the individual states to decide. The vice president was asked about this yesterday and had some thoughts on federalism. And that is the way our system works. It's extremely important uh, that the American people recognize that one of the things that makes America different uh, is that we have a, a system of federalism and that the, the, by putting FEMA in the lead, the president has emphasized that our response to the coronavirus is, in, uh, in the anthem of FEMA, FEMA it is uh, locally executed, state-managed, and federally supported. We want the people on the ground, the decision makers, to have what they need. We want states to be able to manage the unique circumstances in their states. And whether it be the legislation moving through the Congress or uh, the uh, efforts the President announced today, major disaster declarations, Title 32 on the National Guard, resources flowing, hospital beds flowing, we're going to continue to make sure that our states have what they need to meet this moment. You know, when when we formed this country after the revolution, 
the states only ceded a limited number of powers to Washington, D.C., and we're finally having to come to terms with the fact that the states have way more power than the president when it comes to handling this stuff. And some of the state governors are being very, very aggressive, whether it is Andrew Cuomo in New York or Mike DeWine in Ohio or Gavin Newsom in California. Some governors are being completely lax, like Ron DeSantis in Florida. And then there are some governors who are caught in the middle, like Brian Kemp, where you got a lot of people who want him to do more if they live in urban areas, and a lot of people in rural areas want him to do less. And there's a great divide there. There's also the great divide between experts. We listen to the healthcare experts and not the business experts right now. How much longer will that last? The president is suggesting on social media, as I talk right now, that if we can't get the situation under control very soon, he's just going to let people go back to work and deal with it, come up with new ways. The CDC is even saying if they can get through the testing ramped up, which they continue to believe they can do, they're probably going to let people with the virus go back to work, just cover their mouths with a mask. But where can they get the mask from if they're in short supply? There really aren't a lot of good answers right now. And the problem here is that the media is so engaged in a tit-for-tat with the president. The president's having these news conferences. They're coming out. They're trying to educate people. And and the, the prevailing sentiment from the press is, oh, this is the same old, same old. How dare he say this stuff? Meanwhile, the president's just trying to calm people down and keep a panic from happening. And the media wants people panicked. Because they think a panic helps the Democrats. And so much of the media, and not all, there are some very good reporters out there, but so much of the prevailing sentiment in the press these days is we got to get the president. We got to own the president. We got to help Joe Biden. They don't know how to help Joe Biden right now. And the best thing they can do is attack the president. And that's pretty unfortunate. Speaking of the texting app, um, if you text the word data to the number 33777, uh, what I'm going to send you back now are three things. I'm doing a daily newsletter to keep everybody up to date with relevant links and information about the virus, uh, the politics of the day. Uh, you can pay for more if you want, uh, which is $7 a month or $70 for the year, but you can get the the coronavirus, uh, COVID-19 stuff absolutely for free. Don't want to charge anyone on that information. You can text DATA to 33777. Uh, but when you text DATA to 33777, what you get are the three links. So you get one to the newsletter, uh, two, you'll get the link to the Georgia Department of public health so you can see the audit the daily audit county by county spread of the virus and the third link you will get is to the johns hopkins dashboard so that you can see for yourself the spread around the world of this virus now uh one of the issues here is does uh can i say it right hydrochloroquine and um and uh, a z-pack does it actually work hydrochloroquine is the thing that the president has been an advocate of for some time, uh, urging people to, doctors to push this medicine out. And the media has savaged the president over this. The media has has aggressively pushed back against the president for suggesting uh, that these medicines in combination could somehow work. The governor of New York now, having the press having savaged the president over suggesting these, the governor of New York has said now, we're actually going to put these out there. We're actually going to start tomorrow trial runs in New York City giving people hydrochloroquine and erythromycin together because in Europe and South Korea, they've seen benefit from those medicines. There's now, uh, oh, the, Daniel, what's his name? He was an actor in Lost, the, the, the Japanese actor from Lost. Uh, has come out and said that his doctor put him on hydrochloroquine and erythromycin and that together that rapidly diminished the effects of the virus on him. So there's anecdotal out there. Uh, CNN had on a doctor, Dr. Parekh, to ask about this. This is what he had to say. Yeah, so, so there are a couple of issues here. So, uh, And I think these are promising developments, Don. 
but you have to be cautious. So uh, both in China and France, there has been some data, but these are very small studies, no control groups, so no randomized controlled clinical trials, which is the gold standard here. But essentially, uh, these are drugs like chloroquine to prevent and treat malaria, as well as hydrochloroquine, uh, which is a drug to treat uh, autoimmune conditions uh, like lupus. And both of them, it's thought, have antiviral properties as well as anti-inflammatory properties. And then there's azithromycin, which you heard about, which is an antibiotic, but it actually does have anti-inflammatory properties. So the question is, um, it, these drugs individually or in combination, uh, can they help? I think, Don, the critical point here is, uh, even though this is promising, you absolutely need a clinical trial. You need data. There are so many questions here. There's safety. There's effectiveness. There's who, sh who should get this? What type of patients? When should they get it in their course? What's the correct dose? How long should they get it for? So all of these are central questions that need to be answered. Hey, listen, I, I don't dispute anything the man just said. I do not dispute anything the man just said. But, yeah, there is an absolute but here. We know that doctors in Europe and South Korea have begun seeing results. We also know in this country the FDA delayed the rollout of COVID-19 tests because they thought the government labs needed to be the ones to do it and the government needed to control things. And that's what bogs down. It never had anything to do with Donald Trump. And Donald Trump is getting the blame for the FDA bureaucracy slowing things down. Yes, this doctor is absolutely right. There should be trials. There should be clinical trials. There should be tests. But there are right now 35,000 Americans who have this virus. And if 10% of them wind up in hospitals, that, that's over 3,000 people are going to be hospitalized. And actually, in, in New York City, you should know that the number of people who have the virus in New York City is staggering. Um, it, most of the cases of the virus are in New York City, Los Angeles, and Seattle. New York City is being overwhelmed with people. And of the 35,000 cases in this country, it's something like 10,000 of them are in New York City. Half of those people need hospitalization. 5,000 of them or so need hospitalization. They are overwhelming resources. We say it's 10%, but in a lot of these places, it's up to 50% need hospitalization. I assure you there are willing people, willing to be lab rats, to try this on themselves. The anecdotal evidence is anecdotal evidence, but at some point you have so many anecdotes, it really does become data. In New York City, they're willing to do this, um, it, to, to have all the, the FDA come out and say, well, we need to run clinical trials, and it could be some time before we get enough data to advise doctors. Let them do it in the field hospitals of America at this point and figure out what's going on. Let them experiment. I bet these patients are willing to do it. Might as well let them do it. Uh, the drugs are cheap. They are. Erythromycin and, and hydrochloroquine are, are cheap. Uh, let them do it. Let them see what's happening. The governor of New York and the president have said yes. The difference is that the media blasted the president, and they're not blasting the Democratic governor of New York. Very funny double standard there. It is 35 after the hour. I am Eric Erickson here in Georgia. The phone number, if you want to call in and be a part of the program, is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. If you are north of Macon, actually north of Griffin right now, uh, very, very heavy rain blowing through North Georgia. Uh, basically everywhere north of I-20 now is consumed in rain. It is very heavy. 
and it is moving, let's see, it is moving pretty much due east, uh, not really sliding down into middle and south Georgia right now. Now, it, it has been raining at my house here in Macon, but the real heavy stuff is the Atlanta area north. Uh, in the Athens area right now, you're, you got a little bit of respite, but heavier stuff is blowing in your way. Um, in the Clarksville area, you're going to have some heavier stuff as well. The Rome area, you're going to, you're going to have a respite for a little while, but more is coming. The heaviest stuff though, really is tracking along I-20 in Atlanta, but all the way up to the Dalton area, the Jasper area, uh, you've got rain uh, cleared out in the Blue Ridge Blairsville area right now, but it is coming back with a vengeance even up there. Uh, now, uh, let's check. Yeah. Yeah. Everywhere South I-20, you're, you're kind of okay for now. Light sprinkles further South in the Albany area. Um, but we'll keep an eye on the radar here. Uh, heavier stuff is moving in later today. Uh, and it was going to cool down, and now it's not going to cool down. In fact, they keep revising the forecast. Last week at this time, I looked, and a week out, they were saying that it was going to be 51 for a high tomorrow. Not anymore. Uh, the weather keeps changing. The data on the coronavirus does not keep changing. The the numbers continue to go up. I want to get back into that. But we also need to deal with the Kelly Leffler situation as well. A lot of people upset with her. I do have to give her campaign team credit. They are getting her out in the media to do interviews. She was on with Tucker Carlson to defend herself. Now, uh, let me bring you back up to speed on this because it, it gets overshadowed by the virus situation. Uh, Senator Leffler and Senator Burr of North Carolina both made a bunch of stock trades, sales in particular, after a closed-door briefing on how bad the virus was going to get in the United States. There is a difference. Kelly Leffler, Senator Leffler, has an outside firm that manages her money for her and buys and sells. And the buys and sells were all conducted on a day that everybody was selling. Richard Burr does all of his money management himself. And he liquidated his entire net worth in stocks uh, after getting this briefing. His looks deeply troubling. The Senate Ethics Committee is investigating. Leffler says she had no knowledge. She neither directly nor indirectly told them, neither did her husband, that something bad was coming. Uh, the sales were all done on a day that the market was all down. It still looks suspicious. A lot of people very upset with her. It does look like insider trading to a lot of people. But here she is with Tucker Carlson. I want to put on, uh, on our screen for our viewers a video that you released after you learned this. And here it is. The good news is... The consumer is strong, the economy is strong, jobs are growing. Our president has done a fantastic job making sure that we're in the best position to manage through this situation. So I, I wonder, I mean, you, you said you looked at this and you spent all those years in business and you noticed that they're dumping retail, for example. Well, people weren't doing that. I mean, some were, but most weren't. And then you issued a video saying that the economy is totally fine. Do you, in retrospect, think maybe you should have hinted that maybe it's not fine, obviously. I mean, just by your, your portfolio sheet, you know that, right? Well, look, Tucker, this situation has dramatically changed in the space of three months. I think none of us could have predicted where we would be today. And I think that's why it's important that I'm not involved in stock transactions. I don't want to have to explain my actions three months ago that I don't need to take if I can. Well, no, 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 no. This wasn't. Oh, hold on. I'm, I'm sorry. With, with respect, this wasn't three months ago. This was a month ago on February 16th or 17th when you received this sheet. Did it trip any bells for you? I mean, you can read a balance sheet. Obviously, it's what you did all of your life until recently. Did you think maybe this portends something ominous for the economy? Did that thought? Cross your mind. 
Tucker, this is a kind of normal course for managing portfolios. Some, some months you have buys okay. and sells, some months you have buys, some months you have sells. I trust the professionals that manage our portfolio. I don't get involved there. I don't have a say. I don't want to have a say. I want to right. focus on my work for Georgians. We oh, should be talking about coronavirus right now. That was part of it. Uh, one more exchange between Tucker Carlson and Kelly Leffler. I, I get it. I get it. Well, then, and I'm, and I'm not, again, I'm not accusing you of, of executing the trades yourself. It sounds like you didn't, and I don't, you know, I'm not saying that you did. I'm just wondering about the broader question of assuring the public that the economy is fine and coronavirus can be managed when, of course, given your position, you know that that's not true. But so I'm asking you why you true, did that. That's not true, Tucker. That's not true, Tucker. We just had okay. unemployment reports that were strong. In fact, uh, January unemployment 80,000 uh, additional workers were added to the payrolls once February was reported. So we've created like 600,000 jobs this year. We have very strong right. numbers. And heading into March, none of us knew where we would stand on March 20th. We are where we are today. We need to turn our focus to the American people. People are hurting. They're wondering about their jobs, what's happening to their family. 30 right. million kids are out of school. Five to seven million waiters, waitresses, line chefs are out of work. We oh, need to find oh, I'm a very way to aware. No, no, we problem. do shows. So that's the exchange between Leffler and Tucker Carlson. She was also on CNBC and talked about this as well. Well, I think that's an inaccurate characterization. Uh, this uh, report reflects a period of time. And in fact, the only uh, activity that I had individually was a purchase uh, at the end of January. And so I think it's really important to set the facts straight here that um, there was not an outright sale. And in fact, if you look at many of the individual trades, they were quite bullish. That's her explanation to CNBC for the trades. Uh, her, I, I think the one that troubles most people is she bought Citrix, which is a company that has gone up because more and more people are having to work from home. But I, I want to make sure you hear from her herself. This is more of her interview with CNBC. These were completely uh, discretionary trades at the decision of our investment managers. We had no involvement in, in them. And in fact, I don't find out about these trades until these reports are compiled at the end of the reporting period. So I had no knowledge of these companies. And in fact, it was a mix of buys and sells. And so um, I just want to set the record straight there that certainly I had no involvement and, um, and you know, will continue to have no involvement in these investment decisions. And I should note that I have 20 years well, of investment experience where I'm accustomed to managing through sensitive information and I have always adhered to the letter and the spirit of the law, and I'll continue to do that. Now, the, the issue here is I think she still needs to come out and be a little more direct on this, uh, by and large, making sure that uh, she, she has some statements from her financial advisors that she and her husband did not reach out directly or indirectly on this. Um, they could stop this. You know, the other thing she could do is just say, look, I, I didn't do anything wrong. I know people are trying to make a big deal out of this to show people that I didn't do anything wrong. I'm going to donate the, the profits from these sales to the coronavirus relief efforts in the state of Georgia. That would suddenly change the conversation dramatically. I, I don't necessarily know that she's going to go in that direction. Uh, but, and, and I mean, it's her money, and I get that she, she doesn't believe she did anything wrong. And she did do an outside advisor. I do have to tell you, I think the Democrats are overplaying this to some degree because 
because the Democrats are bringing David Perdue into this. The Democrats have decided that Kelly Leffler and David Perdue are both doing this stuff. But even uh, liberal editorialists at the Atlanta Journal and, and others are saying, wait a second, uh, Perdue didn't do anything wrong. He's buying Delta and Disney stock. And by the way, he's got an outside invest investment firm. And you look at the way they have bought and sold stocks for him over the years. This all fits a pattern, not of insider trading, but of regular activity on the stock market. And buying Delta and Disney uh, right before they crash and selling grocery store stock, which is something that happened as well, stocks in some grocery stores were sold. You wouldn't be doing that if you had insider information you were trading on. If anything, if you had insider information you were trading on and you were David Perdue, you'd be buying grocery stores and selling Disney and Delta. And he did the exact opposite. He bought Coke, he bought Delta, he bought Disney, sold some grocery store stocks. He clearly did nothing wrong. And the Democrats trying to conflate Leffler and, and Purdue together actually helps Leffler in this situation. Now, let's go back to the phones. Jerry in Kathleen, Georgia, you're going to be up next today. Welcome. Well, I wanted to, if I could, interject a little humor, if, if possible. Sure. I'm a, sing I'm a single person, and I eat out all the time, or at least I used to. And I've lived in my home here now for not quite 20 years. And I'm now in the middle of trying to put away a bunch of groceries. And I find that, that even though I don't cook, my kitchen is full. My cupboards are full, mainly of coffee mugs. I, I could open a coffee shop. <laughs> yeah, listen, um, uh, you know, we right now, I could probably open a restaurant at our house and just sell um, pasta dishes and bean dishes. Um, we've got so many pasta, you know, as a matter of fact, Jerry, so I was over at, uh, Publix yesterday. Uh, I actually, I think I probably went to Publix five or six times. Uh, and, and you're, you, I'm having to do the routine, you know, so I had to go to Publix. We got the Publix close to us and I went and was able to get most of the stuff from Publix. But then I had to go to the Kroger to get bacon because the Publix didn't have bacon and the Kroger did. And then last night I had to go back to the Publix to pick up some medicine for my wife right before they closed. And they, you could hear them over the intercom. We have a shipment at the back door. We have a shipment at the back door. Please, someone, go to the back door for the shipment. And everybody just freezes. What do they have? What do they have? What do they have? And it's about 30 minutes before closing time. And shoppers are just frozen in place. What's coming? What's coming? What's coming? Praise God. Hallelujah. It was the toilet paper and the paper towels and the shoppers were all getting. I mean, seriously, I went to the public yesterday. And you know, one of the things that, that they were completely sold out of makeup completely sold out of makeup at the Publix yesterday. Uh, foundation and concealer, they're completely sold out. And I, I put that online and was laughing, and a lady replied to me and said, very clearly, you're not teleconferencing from home. <laughs> they were out of cheese. They were back out of, except for the Nature's Own. God bless the bakers at Nature's Own. Uh, lots, of, lots of bread at Publix yesterday. There were no eggs anywhere, no eggs at all. Uh, but uh, by God, late yesterday, the, the paper towels and the toilet paper were rolling in. I saw one lady walking through the parking lot, and she had uh, a pack of Bounty and a pack of Angel soft, soft toilet paper. And I looked at her. She was walking past me. said, do you need me to walk you to your car so you don't get mugged? And we both fell out laughing. Uh, I told her I would have stayed six feet away just to be on the safe side. But uh, at least people are finding some humor in this. Uh, it's just it, having to go to all these different grocery stores to find stuff because people are still hoarding. And the problem, of course, is that as people hoard, other people decide, well, gosh, I may not find this stuff, so I better get as much of it 
right now as I can. And that just creates this feedback of people continually hoarding. You know, Publix and Kroger both now are stopping returns. Uh, so if you've gone out and you've hoarded all these two-liter bottles of Coke, as, as several people have told me they've seen people doing, or you've hoarded all this toilet paper and stuff, you can't take it back to the grocery store anymore unless it's damaged goods. Uh, but the, for the dried goods and stuff, they're not letting you do it. If you bought the if you bought the can of tomato sauce and you decide to put a din in and take it back and say, hey, this is dinned, I want it back, they're not going to take it back now. And they're not going to take back your paper products, which is good to disincentivize the hoarding. But now they're having to limit products. They're having to limit the milks. They're having to limit the of bacon you can get stuff like that not because there's a shortage uh, in the supply chain but because grocery store consumers have lost their ever living mind on this stuff it is getting a little bit absurd in fact with all of this news about the hydrochloroquine and erythromycin a pharmacist from atlanta emailed me over the weekend and said uh, he has noticed a particular doctor in town whose family uses his pharmacy the entire family has become loading up on hydrochloroquine and erythromycin and there's nothing he can really do it's legit prescriptions uh, but it's it's one family has come in and and pretty much wiped out his supplies of stuff uh, because people are doing that across the board there there is a real interesting dichotomy in how people live their lives like for example uh, the number of people who suddenly they don't want to be in quarantine or we had somebody call earlier saying that I was um, in, I, I was opposing people's individual liberty and right to travel. Look, if you want to travel, go travel. But at the state level, the state governors do have powers that they can deploy to stop the spread of this virus. And if you don't do what you need to do on your own, the governor in this state is going to do it. That, that's part of the problem here is you've got the opportunity to do as you need to do for you and your family, and you have the opportunity to live your best life now. And if you're living your best life now and it involves traveling and going to restaurants and hanging out at bars and stuff, not only could you get sick, but for four days before you know you're sick, you could be spreading the virus to other people. We're in an economic uncharted territory right now with the virus spreading that kills 10 times as many people as the flu. And hospitals are beginning to run out of resources. My wife is at home right now, as a matter of fact, making masks for doctors and nurses. Now, they're fabric, uh, and so they're not as good as a surgical mask. But a lot of doctors and nurses are looking for these fabric masks to cover over their disposable masks to give their disposable masks more, more lasting time. And we're going to need to see more of this. We're going to need to see people stepping up, and we are. Uh, these are uncharted territories, and, and to think that the, the new cycle of three months ago applies now or the politics of three months ago applies now isn't necessarily the case. But on top of that, uh, the idea that there really is nothing wrong and people are overblowing it and, and, and they're blowing things out of proportion, it, your seasonal flu, your H1N1 spread, we, we've never seen doctors and hospitals running out of resources as quickly as they are right now. We have never seen so many people flooding hospitals that they're having to turn convention centers into hospital wards to deal with the overflow of patients. If you can look at all of that and say that there's nothing out of the ordinary right now, there's something wrong with your perspective on life. And I don't mean to be insulting, but honestly, we are seeing hospitals overwhelmed right now. 
in ways they've never been with the seasonal flu or the H1N1 spread. We're seeing people die who are in good health. We're seeing people need uh, ventilators who wouldn't otherwise need ventilators with a normal flu. There's clearly something about this one that's not well. And, and the, the frustrating thing for me, the aggravating thing for me, is that there are frankly going to be a lot of people, and they're going to be mostly on my side of the aisle, who, when we've done everything we need to do to stop this virus, are going to be the ones say, oh, it was all overblown, it was no big deal. And if it comes back in a second wave, they're going to contribute to way more people not doing what they need to do to keep us all safe and sound. The phone number here is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. I want to play a little bit from Dr. Fauci, uh, who is in a little bit of hot water today. He gave a interview to Science Magazine, and he talked about the president being willing to to disagree and entertain all sides and actually being very receptive, but also talked about how he can stand there and the president can start saying stuff that he shouldn't say, and, and Fauci's not going to go shove him out of the microphone. And the media, of course, likes these internal dramas. You know there are members of the press who want to play up this story to try to get Fauci fired. You know it's going to happen. So that then they can attack the president. You, I, I guarantee you that's going to happen. But he, he, let me play you a couple of bits of audio. This is from the White House press briefing yesterday with Dr. Fauci. If you look at the dynamics of the outbreak in Italy, we don't know why they are suffering so terribly. But there's a possibility, and, and many of us believe, that early on they did not shut out as well the input of infections that originated in China and came to different parts of the world. One of the things that we did very early and very aggressively, the president you know, put the travel restriction mm -hmm. coming from, from uh, China to the United States and most recently from Europe to the United States because Europe is really the new China. Again, I don't know why this is happening there to such an extent, but it is conceivable that once you get so many of these spreads out, they spread exponentially and you can never keep up with this tsunami. And I think that's what... Unfortunately, our colleagues and our dear friends in Italy are facing. Yes, very much so. Uh, you know, it's interesting to recall the media blasting the president for stopping the travel with China and then again with Europe in the last couple of weeks and attacking them. And it's just it, it's completely irresponsible the way the media coverage has been. A little more Dr. Fauci. The federal failures over testing have blinded Americans to the scale of the outbreak. On Friday, the president seemed nervous enough about this blunt talk from Dr. Fauci. We are not there yet because otherwise people would be never calling up saying they can't get a test. To visibly coax the vice president to weigh in. Well, I just can't emphasize enough about the incredible... Listen, you got the Fauci concerns there uh, that we can't get the testing, and this isn't a problem with the president. It's amazing to watch the media want to blame the president on this stuff. It really actually is remarkable how uh, you know and I know if Barack Obama were president of the United States right now, the media would not be blaming him for the dysfunction within the permanent bureaucracy. But because Donald Trump is president of the United States, they're willing to blame him for the dysfunction within the permanent bureaucracy. The double standards write themselves, and, and the problem here is that the media needs credibility right now, and they don't have it. And I will tell you where the, the credibility is trickling down here. There, there's a Georgia story here where the Atlanta media is beginning to panic over Brian Kemp not putting the whole state on lockdown. 
I want to spend a little time on the story when we come back. The governor of the state of Georgia is increasingly coming under attack from not just Democrats, but from members of the media for his refusal to lock down the entire state. I've got some insight on this from the governor's office perspective as well that I want to share with you when we come back on why he's doing what he's doing. Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here, the Eric Erickson Show. Special welcome to WDDK over in Greensboro, the doc, uh, joining us this hour, picking up the program over the Lake Oconee area, part of my favorite area of the state. You know, with our vacation being canceled, uh, we were headed to Hilton Head next week. I thought about maybe just taking the kids over to Reynolds Plantation uh, and hanging out there at the Ritz, and they're either sold out or shut down because there is nothing available there until June, I'm assuming. They're just not taking reservations right now. I don't know. Uh, in any event, uh, welcome very much to, to those of you over there. Uh, lovely people, great station, wonderful, wonderful uh, area of the state. Right now, quick check of the radar in the state of Georgia because we've got major storms moving across north Georgia right now. Uh, everywhere north of I-20, if you're over in the Lake Oconee area, you're going to be okay. Uh, maybe get some scattered showers later. Athens is about to have heavy stuff head its way. Clarksville is going to get heavier stuff moving into its area. Rome is out of the woods right now for a little while, but more is coming in. All the way up 75 to Chattanooga, uh, you've got rain, and it's moving further into North Georgia as well. Let me give you the audit trail of where the COVID-19, the, the Wuhan virus, is spreading around the state of Georgia. And then we've got Georgia news we need to get into, including uh, growing criticisms of Governor Kemp and how he's handling this. The numbers will be updated at 12 p.m. today, but right now there are 620 confirmed cases and 25 dead. Uh, the, the bulk of the cases are between ages of 18 and 59. I wish they would give a better breakdown there uh, because my, my gut is that it's 30 and older is where the bulk of them are. Um, 60 and older, only 36%. Now, county by county, here we go. 111 in Fulton, 67 Cobb, 56 in Bartow, 53 in DeKalb, 52 in Darty. 27 in Gwinnett, 18 in Cherokee, 16 in Lee, 16 in Carroll, 13 in Clayton, 10 in Richmond, 10 in Clark, 9 in Coweta, 9 in Fayette, 9 in Floyd, 9 in Hall, 8 in Lowndes, 7 in Henry, 5 in Forsyth, uh, 4 in each of these, Chatham, Douglas, Glenn, Gordon, Newton, Paulding, Polk, and Troop, 3 in each of these, Columbia, Lamar, and Peach, 2 in each of these, Baldwin, Butts, Early, Effingham, Lawrence, Muskogee, Oconee, Pickens, Rockdale, Spalding, Sumter, Terrell, Tift, Whitfield, and Worth counties, and then one in each of these counties. Barrow, Bibb, Charlton, Chattooga, Clinch, Coffee, Dawson, Hurd, Houston, Lincoln, Lumpkin, Miller, Monroe, Randolph, Tatnell, Turner, Twiggs, and a partridge in a pear tree. I just, I, I re read that list all the time, and at least now they've started alphabetizing the counties per bracket. But nonetheless, uh, there's your spread. 27 additional cases. We don't know what counties those people are in. Uh, that information has not yet been released, and they're working on getting there. And there is a story in the AJC that Governor Brian Kemp, uh, pressure is building on the governor to lock down the entire state. Uh, the governors of, I, of Ohio and New York and California are locking down their state shelter-in-place orders for the entire states. Governor Kemp has not done that. In fact, remember, you had a special session of the Georgia legislature convened last Monday, or two Mondays ago now, I forget which, um, that gave the governor extraordinary power. Yeah, I guess it was last Monday. Gave the governor extraordinary power to do what he needed to do, and the only thing he did is, is order all schools closed. 
And, you know, some of those schools in the next couple of weeks are going to want to be opening back up. The governor, though, has allowed local entities, local uh, counties and cities to close themselves down. So, for example, uh, in um, in Muskogee County, the mayor there, Muskogee Columbus, has shut everything down. And now there was a press conference in uh, Bibb County. It's actually going on right now where uh, Mayor Robert Rickert in the Macon-Bibb County area is essentially shutting down all non-essential businesses in Bibb County. So there's a patchwork. And in the Atlanta area, there are growing concerns that Governor Kemp is not doing what he needs to do. The Atlanta area wants to shut everything down. Let me read you some of this. This is Greg Bluestein writing in the AJC. Uh, Governor Brian Kemp's refusal so far to use emergency powers to impose restrictions to stem the spread of coronavirus has led to a patchwork of local regulations that public health experts warn could undermine Georgia's effort to contain the disease. The Republicans' aides say he's weighing his options as he scheduled a 5 p.m. press conference. But Kemp has also said he fears any overreach would backfire if he moves too quickly to ban public gatherings and shut down businesses. His reluctant stand in contrast to dozens of other governors as well in growing numbers of Georgia municipal and county leaders who have imposed steep restrictions meant to stem the spread of the disease. At least 28 other states have enacted statewide limits on gatherings, and 35 states have restricted restaurants and other businesses. Those restrictions span most southern states. We need Governor Kemp to act now. The point of no return for Georgia's rapidly closing, says Carlos Del Rio, the chair of the Department of Global Health Studies at Emory. To prevent a catastrophe in the healthcare system due to COVID-19, we need him to shut down Georgia now. The cause for Kemp to force closures and restrict events has grown more insistent as the number of cases has risen. Right now, 620 Georgians, including four state senators, it's linked to 25 deaths. They're joined by growing numbers of Republicans. House Speaker David Ralston became among the state's first Republican leaders to advocate a shelter-in-place order as the state rapidly reaches what he calls a tipping point. Now, there are complex problems involved here, more so than a lot of people uh, would like to acknowledge. Georgia has a very growing urban-rural divide. And if I were the go, if I were advising the governor, and I'm not, um, I, I, I'm not advising him. I know my place. It's not to give him advice. Um, but if I were advising the governor, what I would recommend is that any county in the state that has more than five COVID nineteen cases go on complete lockdown. And the counties that surround those counties on complete lockdown go to restaurants only to go orders. And those counties that are not, they have less than five cases and are not connected to a large county with big cases, not go on lockdown, but use precautions, encourage people to stay home, continue to do what they're doing unless local governments think otherwise. If you want an idea of how how contagious this is, though, and why they're taking it seriously, and I know there are a lot of people, as I, I've mentioned last hour, there are a lot of people who say, well, we didn't do all this with H1N1. Well, the problem is H1N1, in the worst-case scenario, killed three-tenths of a percent of the people who got it. In this case, with COVID-19, 1% of people die. 
So if you take, if you extrapolate from seasonal flu, let's just treat this like seasonal flu and do nothing. With seasonal flu, uh, you get 35 million Americans got it last year. 35,000 people died. Uh, COVID-19 would be 350,000 people, except there's no vaccine for it. So really it'd be probably 650,000 to a million people would die. It is a different thing. With H1N1 and with the seasonal flu, you did not have New York City having to convert their convention center into a makeshift hospital. You did not have the federal government have to send Navy hospital ships to New York and Los Angeles to deal with overflow patients. If you can't look at all of those things and say this is actually fundamentally different, uh, the problem's with you, not with what's happening. But there are rural parts of the state that may actually not get the virus, or if they get it, uh, may only be a handful of people who get it. And 85 to 90% of the cases are mild cases. Why do we want to wipe out the economies in rural parts of the state where it's not going to be much of a concern? There are certainly areas of concern in the state. Again, Fulton County right now, and this number is going to go up. In 45 minutes, this number is going to go up significantly. In Fulton County, there are 111 cases. In Cobb County, there are 67 cases. In Bartow County, 56. In DeKalb, 53. In Gwinnett, 27. In Cherokee, there are 18. In Carroll, there are 16. In Clayton, there are 13. And then you get down outside of that area. You get nine in uh, Coweta, that's Noonan. Nine in Fayette, that's Fayetteville and Peachtree City. Nine in Floyd, that's Rome. Nine in Hall County, that's Gainesville. Seven in Henry County. Five in, in Forsyth County. Uh, you, 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 the further away, except for a couple of hot spots, you get, you don't have these massive spikes. Now, there are certainly a lot of people in, in hospitals around the state that I've talked to who say they're seeing increases in people coming in with flu-like symptoms, and they're tested negative for the flu, and the state is using that as a proxy to suggest that this virus probably has been spreading a little more in Georgia than we knew, that it got here earlier than we expected, but also uh, that there are many more people who have it than we know about, and that's a concern. But it seems like the governor is doing a wise job of letting local communities decide for themselves. You've got uh, Clark County locking itself down, Fayette County locking itself down, uh, or not Fayette, uh, Fulton rather. You've got Columbus, Muskogee doing it. You've got Bibb County now doing it. Around the state as the situation changes, local governments are making decisions. But if there are no cases in, for example, Wilkinson County, why does Wilkinson County, one of the rural poor parts of the state, why does Wilkinson need to go on lockdown? Why does everyone in Wilkinson County, if no one's infected, need to be locked down? I understand Fulton. I understand the metro area. I understand the suburbs and the exurbs. But there are rural parts of the state whose economies would be devastated if you told everyone you're not allowed to leave your house. And by the way, I don't think anyone would do it. Who's, who's going to stop them? And that's part of the governor's concern here is this balance. We, we also – we've got to do the balance of experts, and no one wants to talk about this. But as much as the healthcare experts are saying we need everyone to stay home and do nothing for two weeks and we'll solve this, you've got the economic experts are saying you sit home for two weeks, you're going to wreck the economy for years. And there's got to be some level of balance. Now, maybe, maybe the, the hydrochloroquine erythromycin experiment that they're about to do in New York City starting tomorrow will show that we can beat this thing. We'll show that we, we've got a, a path forward here. 
But right now, the governor is taking it slowly, and I think responsibly, by letting local governments make the decisions for themselves. And if they make that decision, he's giving the full weight of the state, putting the full weight of the state behind them. Likewise, he's making sure, sure supply chains reopen. So, for example, uh, you, you got a county up in North Georgia with an abundance of masks, and you got a county in South Georgia that needs them. The governor, through the insurance commissioner, is making sure that those masks can be routed to hospitals that need them. That makes sense. Managing the supply chain is one of the critical features here. You've got an excess capacity of, of beds in middle Georgia. You're a short supply in north Georgia, so you transfer patients down to middle Georgia and, and have those nurses and doctors take care of them to help with the overflow. Do we need to send people to Chatham County hospitals? Where do we put these people? There are solutions to these things to manage it, and the governor is managing the crisis. Part of what is left unsaid in all of these reports, if we're really honest about it, is there are restaurateurs and business owners in the Atlanta area who are shut down, who are deeply upset that other areas of the state are not facing the same consequence. Now, no one wants to say it that way, but that's what's happening here. You get the the restaurateur in DeKalb County who's shut down, who's looking two counties over at a restaurant that's not shut down, and he's thinking, that guy should be out of business if i got to be out of business. Why is that guy allowed to make money if I'm not allowed to make money? There is a level of jealousy here. It is a level of jealousy that no one wants to talk about and yet exists. It is a level of jealousy between businesses. There's also a level of partisan divide. The governor has gotten a lot of credit for the way he's handled this, the way he's kept supply chains going, the way he's waived restrictions so truckers can get your toilet paper delivered to your local grocery store, and that helps the governor. And so you've got a lot of Democrats who all they can do is they got to find ways to complain, to create partisan division in the state, to stir up controversy where there has been no controversy. We see this with the media and what they're doing with President Trump. The same thing is happening with Governor Kemp here. They've got to find a way to seed controversy to undermine the president of the United States. They've got to find a way to seed controversy to undermine the governor of Georgia. And there's a lot of people out there in the metro area who want things shut down. If I was the governor, I would say, fine, you want it, you got it. The metro area completely shut down. Fulton County and every county that touches Fulton County, you're all shut down. You all stay home, shelter in place. You're not allowed to leave your house. We're shut, We're blocking the interstates. We're blocking the roads so you can't get out of your county, and you got to stay there. But down in South Georgia, your mileage may vary. You know, regionalism works at the federal level. The state of Georgia does not need to respond in the same way as the state of California, does not need to respond in the same way as the state of Ohio, does not need to respond in the same way as the state of New Hampshire. Regionalism works, federalism works, but it works inside a state like Georgia too. When you've got some major urban hubs in Savannah, Augusta, Macon, Valdosta, Columbus, Atlanta, Rome, Dalton, but then you've got more rural areas down in South Georgia, you've got a lot of rural counties, federalism and regionalism works in those areas as well. What's good for the suburban, the exurban, and the urban counties in Georgia is not necessarily good for the rural county. If you've got no cases in those counties, they may get one or two cases. They may have them, and we just don't know about it. They may be mild cases. And I hear these people all say, if it spreads into these counties, they don't have any hospital space. There's there's a level of urban arrogance in there as well. Those hicks and rubes in South Georgia, I can't believe they'd live in a place that doesn't have a hospital like we have here. It's their choice. It's their choice. And what's good for you in Gwinnett or Cobb is not necessarily what's good for someone in, in Oconee or Bibb. 
That's just the reality of the world we live in right now. And to attack the governor for allowing local communities to decide for themselves what's best for their local community, and he's going to come in and he's going to help do whatever needs to be done, I, I don't have a problem with them doing that. And it's just it's notable to me that the loudest voices in the room are all Democrats who have been criticizing the governor, and they haven't found a way to criticize him. And now they're criticizing him by c- complaining that he's not crippling the state economy enough to stop the virus. There are concerns with people. And listen, I've, I, I'm, we're sheltered in place in our household. And I know a lot of people who are, and business is clearly down, but there are clearly issues that need to happen. And there are clearly advisors to the governor, and he's doing the job of a leader of taking all of the advice from all of the competing people and balancing them in the way that he thinks is best for the state of Georgia. And I got no problem with that. Let me give you an, uh, the audit trail of politicians, if we will. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here across the state of Georgia. The phone number, if you want to be a part of the program as well, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Remember, it's E-R-I-C-K. Also, if you want to get the, the Johns Hopkins dashboard of, of the global spread of the virus or the Georgia data, or just the daily newsletter I am I'm using to keep people up to date with what's going on at no charge. Text the word data D A T A. Text it to this number three three seven seven seven. You you go to your messaging app and the number you send to is three three seven 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 and just send the word data. And what you will immediately get back are three links. One to my daily newsletter that I've started doing to keep everybody up to date on this. Uh, the second link will be to the Georgia audit from the Department of Public Health on how the virus is spreading in Georgia. And the third link will be to the Johns Hopkins University dashboard that tracks the spread of the virus globally so you can keep up to date, be smarter than all your friends. Uh, I highly, highly encourage you, by the way, to make sure that you subscribe to the daily newsletter. And the reason I want you to subscribe to the daily newsletter is because I'm trying in a nonpartisan way. uh, I guess, listen, there will be Democrats who will refuse to read it. Um, if in the afternoons you get good partisan stuff in the morning, if you're a paid subscriber, but in the afternoon, uh, for everybody, I'm just sending out the relevant links of all the stuff you need to know. And I'm trying to point out, here's something that's being said. This is not true. Uh, and here's the reality in trying to clamp down on so much of the lies that are spreading out there right now as people try to take advantage of this. There is actual truth out there, and we have an obligation to it, I think. Uh, But I want to encourage you, text the word DATA to 33777. Now, you should know there are four cases in the Georgia Senate now of of, – uh, COVID-19. Nikema Williams, uh, state senator, has tested positive. State Senator Bruce Thompson has tested positive. State Senator Kay Kirkpatrick has tested positive. And State Senator Brandon Beach has texted positive. Uh, a number of the cases can be tied to Brandon Beach, it seems, who went to a doctor Saturday before last, had fever and a dry cough, took the COVID-19 test, and he says his doctor told him, despite a fever and a cough, that he could go to the General Assembly for the special session on Monday. And since then, the whole state legislature has had to go into quarantine, and now a Democratic staffer, it appears, also is testing positive. Meanwhile, in Washington, D.C., Rand Paul, this is this one, it infuriates me, and I like Rand Paul a lot, but Rand Paul, uh, again, dry cough, fever, otherwise asymptomatic, it gets tested, 
Uh, the test comes back positive, and on the morning that the test came back positive, he went to the gym and was hanging out with fellow senators. In addition, he sits with Mike Lee and Mitt Romney on the floor of the Senate, so they've had to go into quarantine. The Senate is now 48-47 uh, in Republican hands. If one more Republican has to go into quarantine, it's a tied Senate, 47-47. And you still need the 60-vote threshold to get over the filibuster, so their quarantining makes it, it makes it impossible to really get much done unless there's widespread consensus. And, you know, the, the, the irony here is, is that uh, Rand Paul being such a pro-liberty guy, uh, he, the Senate is presumed to always have a quorum. And you can go, you can suggest the absence of a quorum to force a vote. Rand Paul's the guy most likely to do that, and now he can't do it because he's in quarantine. Uh, keep these guys in your prayer, seriously. But yeah, there is some, some. you can find some humor in this. Here's a little history lesson for you. In, in the Spanish flu pandemic of 1917-1918, uh, I'm reading now from a guy, uh, Mr. Greer, who's a scholar, uh, San Francisco authorities mandated all people wear masks in public. Police arrest, arrested citizens who wouldn't wear them. For a whole month, it worked. And then the first wave of the pandemic passed. People got sick of having their lives constrained. There were lots of people getting sick anyway and writing letters to the editor about how useless the masks were. In November of 1918, cops arrested 400 no-mask wearers in a sting operation against the city's hotels. But public supported burst. Shops ordered their cl clerks to stop wearing the thing. Citizens of San Francisco organized an anti-mask league of San Francisco. That's the actual name, anti-mask league of San Francisco. The league successfully got the San Francisco City Council to repeal the ordinance in December of 1918 for a good three weeks until it was put back in place around Christmas. But by then, the entire city was civilly disobeying the mask order and continued on in their disobedience until February when the law could be repealed again as the pandemic had officially passed its worst. In other words, Americans have hated wearing masks and being constrained for so long. I, I actually got an email from a listener who tried to call in, uh, and let me let me read you uh, what he says. This gives you a sense of what some people are thinking out there from Brian. You're wrong on COVID-19. You quoted estimated deaths on your morning show. How many people on earth will die? 100% of them because no one is immortal. The question becomes when and how. Taking away people's livelihoods is not the solution. People have a right to travel unmolested. Your call screener asked where that was in the Constitution. This is all about creating an exception so rights can be taken. Unalienable means cannot be taken away or given away. Even one exception makes rights alienable. There is no greater good than individual rights. Well, what's missing in this statement is also responsibilities. If you have rights, you have responsibilities. You have a right to own a gun. You have a responsibility to not kill other people unless you're being armed. You have a right to travel. You don't have a right to run other people over in your way. Rights come with responsibilities. You have an inalienable right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. You do, according to the penumbras of, of the, the Ninth Amendment of the Constitution, have a constitutional right to travel in this country. But the government can direct how you travel, where you travel, when you travel, and in times of crisis gets further control. Now, you can take this position that you've got the right to travel unmolested, but that's not true, actually. Uh, you don't have the right to break the speed limit. If your right was completely unmolested, you could drive as fast as you want, except you can't. You, you don't have the right to drive a car without a license. 
you have responsibilities that come with your rights, and your rights can be defined. You, you have the right to vote, but you only have the right to vote once. And that vote is taken away from you. That right is taken away from you if you're a felon. It, it, it's not a black or white situation. It's not an all or nothing. There are responsibilities that come with your rights. And if public health experts are right, that if all of us do our part and stay home for two weeks, we can nip this virus in the bud, then maybe we should do it. And the trade-off is is the economic trade-off. I, I, I'm seeing conservatives out there now saying we should all be going back to work. This is overblown. We know it's not overblown. I know there are people who still think it's overblown. I know there are people who still think it's a media conspiracy. I'm sorry, but have you paid attention to what's happened in Italy now? If you're over 60 years old in Italy and you have COVID-19 and you begin to have respirator problems, they're letting you die. I find it very rich to see conservatives out there who call themselves pro-life, who are pro-life until their bottom line is impacted. Oh, well, nope, getting a financial hit now, let them die. It's not really the balance you need. I, I understand people's businesses are suffering. Totally understand people's businesses are suffering. I get that. I do. And it sucks. But do you want a million Americans dead? Because we know for certain the rates of transmission of this virus now. And we know for certain from Vice President Pence that the infectious spread right now is three is is three to one, meaning one person infects three people. We originally thought it was 2.3 people. It's now up to three people. For perspective, one person infects 1.3 other people with the flu. So it's significantly more contagious. Than the, now, far less contagious than the measles. The measles, one person can infect up to 18 people, between 11 and 18 people. That's how infectious the measles is. This is, is one person can affect up to three people. But it's still very, very disturbing because we're seeing more and more people need hospitalization. And part of the problem here that people need to understand is that now that more and more of the Chinese data is getting ex excluded from the samples, what we're actually seeing, we've actually got a wealth of knowledge from Western, Western powers. And so if what we're seeing in Europe, for example, what we're seeing in Canada, what we're starting to see in New York City and Los Angeles and, and other places in this country is that up to half of the people who get it can require hospitalization. 10% of the people can require ICU. And in this country, we have less hospital beds. We actually do have um, outpatient facilities that can accommodate the overflow and things like that. But our hospital resources are limited. And so it becomes a question of, of who do you give final say to, the business people or the healthcare experts? Right now we got a virus that is running rampant. 50% of the people who get it may require hospitalization, even if, by and large, the, the symptoms are mild for most people. We've got all the data sets. We're, we're not now rushing into something blind. I understand there are people out there who say, this is no big deal. This is overblown. Uh, we didn't do this with the seasonal flu. We didn't do this with the H1N1. But these are the people who are listening to what they want to hear. I also understand that there has been a level of arrogance within the media and a lot of the expert community that makes people more and more less likely to listen to them. So, for example, uh, we've got a bunch of experts who tell us we need to do X, Y, and Z, and inevitably they get things wrong. Listen, the experts told the president of the United States that if he moved the embassy in, in Israel from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem, he would start World War III. And he did it anyway, and guess what? World War III did not happen. 
There were experts who said he was going to spark World War III by killing Soleimani. What happened? Uh, Iran had a functionally impotent response, and that was it. There are experts who told the president that uh, if he pulled out of the Paris Climate Accord that did nothing, that we were going to have rampant global warming. Nothing's changed. And so I understand the skepticism of people who say we could have a million Americans die if we don't all stay home. But the difference is that so many of that, uh, so many of those expert statements on moving the embassy, on getting out of the Paris Accord, on killing Soleimani, were based on hypotheticals. We're beyond hypothetical at this point. In the same way with global warming, we're now into the data sets. You know, 10 years ago, they would say, well, in 2020, this is what's going to happen. We're now into 2020, and we know that the experts got some stuff right and a lot of stuff wrong. Well, back in January, they were telling us with this virus, if it spread to the United States, here's what's going to happen. Well, now we're into the we're into the data. We're into the point of data where we can look at what the experts were predicting in January and February, and we can look at March and we can say, oh boy, guess what? Turns out the experts were right. That, by the way, that's one reason the governor in Georgia has been reluctant to shut everything down. Governor Kemp has been listening to the experts, and the experts have been plotting what's going to happen in Georgia, and the data has been coming back remarkably accurate, and so the governor understands how it's spreading in the state. They've been smart. They've been using flu, negative flu tests as proxies for the spread of this virus because they know that if you get a flu test because you got flu-like symptoms and you test negative for the flu, the odds are you got the virus. And so they can chart it. They can track it. They know where it is. And so they're listening to the experts. But here comes Joe Schmo, who saw some meme on the Internet about his right to travel and how he should be able to travel and spread this virus around if he gets it willy-nilly. And, and suddenly it, it's, I got a constitutional right to spread this virus around or some such. Uh, the, the, the silliness out there from people. I, I understand your frustration being kept home. I understand it. But we are dealing with something new. And I understand it, it is infuriating, it is infuriating to listen to a bunch of poindextry people who have gotten so much wrong. But they're getting it right in this case. And as much as the experts need some level of humility, the rest of us do too. As much as the experts should be willing to admit when they get things wrong, we should be willing to admit when we get things wrong as well. It is absolutely true that in the grand scheme of things, there are in this country right now, in fact, if you text the word data to 33777, uh, you'll get back the same link that I'm looking at right now. There are in this country at this moment 35,345 cases of COVID-19. 35,345 cases of COVID-19. One thing they've done now with this this link uh, is their county-by-county spread now, so you can see where the clusters are. There are only 35,345 cases and 473 people are dead. And so you've got a lot of a lot of people, particularly on the right, who are coming out and saying this really isn't that big of a deal. So many more people get the flu. Let's go about our lives. But what they miss is that we've got 35,345 people who have who have contracted this virus and we're on lockdown by and large. 35,345 people have gotten it, and we, by and large, are doing what we need to do to stay home and keep it from spreading. If we didn't do that, if we went about business as usual, we know fairly well if you've got one person who can infect three people, well, then we know how it's going to spread. 
Right now, the mortality rate of, of infections is 1.3% in this country. Given that it spreads from one person to three people, you can model out how much it will spread and how much it will tax resources in this country if we let the spread go without any controls. And so the question is, what do we do? And there is the concern about the economy as well. There, there is a real concern for the economy. But let me give you a real-world scenario. For those of you who still think it's no big deal, Albany, Georgia. There are now in the state of Georgia, if you text data to 33777, you'll get the audit link back. Uh, down in Darty and Lee County, they've had a spread of the virus. Uh, down in Darty County, there are 52 cases. In Lee County, there are 16 cases. That's the this Albany area down in South Georgia. Albany, as my wife would say it, or some such. Most of those cases are people related to two funerals. In fact, there are in Georgia right now 25 people dead. Ten of those deaths come from Albany. All of those people attended two funerals where a preacher preached who was infected and didn't know it. By the way, that's another difference with H1N1. With H1N1, uh, you're not an, you're not contagious until you get the fever and the cough. With this, you're contagious before you get the fever and the cough. That's that's why this is so extraordinary. Uh, you, you don't have to have symptoms to spread this disease. With H1N1, you did. But there are 10 people in, down in Albany who died, and they went to funerals with a preacher who was infected. And Albany has now had a massive explosion of COVID-19 cases. 16 in Lee County, 52 in Darty County, and almost all of those are t traced back to either the people who are at this funer these funerals or the people who encounter the people who are at these funerals. That's how quickly it's spread down there. It has taxed the resources of the Phoebe Putney Medical Center down there. They are running out of supplies now. They've had multiple deaths from people. That's how contagious it is. Extrapolate that to your community. You get someone who shows up at your church who's contagious, and there are 50 people in this church. Well, one person is going to infect three people in that church. Those three people are each going to infect three people. Or look at the situation now in, in, um, in Richmond County, there are 10 people. And that is in Columbia County. Let me do, where's Columbia County here? In Columbia County, uh, we also have seen the spread uh, in Columbia County, uh, three people in Columbia County. You know where some of those cases came from? It was a man who was at a church, uh, Liberty Church on the Square or Church on Liberty Square up in Bartow County. His father had died. He was there for his father's funeral. He attended a church service there as well. Someone was infected there in Bartow County. Let me give you the numbers in Bartow County now. There are 56 people in Bartow County. Most of those infections are people who went to a church service and then interacted with other people. You can trace them all back to the church service. You can trace the spread of COVID-19 into the Augusta area from someone who went to that Bartow County service and spread it there. That's how contagious the virus is. And you can still look at these numbers and say, well, look, it's only 111 people in Fulton County. How many thousands of them got the flu? That's fine. But in Fulton County, they're locking down now. They're shutting down. And you still got 111 cases. That's the thing you got to think of. You, you got to think a little differently here. If we let this go like the seasonal flu, you're spreading a virus that 1% of the population will die from, and only a tenth of the population who gets it would die from the flu. 
And you can take the idea like this guy who emailed me, well, 100% of people are going to die. It's just a matter of when they're going to die. You know, I, I assume this guy doesn't consider himself pro-life. I, I, I consider myself pro-life. I'm an evangelical Christian. I think all life matters. And the idea that you and I can stay home for a week or two and stop a virus from spreading that's going to kill our grandparents or parents, I'm willing to do that. And it, it, it baffles me that there are people out there who say, well, I'm pro-life, but i got to make a buck. If people die, they die. They're going to die anyway. That's not exactly being pro-life. That's not actually being a compassionate human being. There are things we can do ourselves to stop the spread of this virus and not have it come in contact with our own families. And by and large, staying home will work. But there is a problem here. I don't know how sustainable that's going to be long-term. People's nerves are going to fray. I, I don't think we need to get into a situation like Governor Cuomo of, of New York is saying we may have to do this until July or August. I don't think we can. I don't think most Americans are willing to do that, and I don't think they should. I, I think we do need to rush, and we do need to get the FDA to, to push out these drugs, uh, hydrochloroquine and erythromycin. In New York City, they start it tomorrow and see what happens. And if it starts making a big impact up there where they're overwhelmed now with cases, then spread it everywhere. Get it out there quick. But we also, in addition to needing to listen to the experts, we do need to make the experts in the in the bureaucracy who are engaged in political fiefdoms understand that our patience as a people will only last for so long, and they better get a handle on this and move it out quick. Here in Georgia, we're only in this for a week and a half, and nerves are already fraying. In some states, like California, they're on complete lockdown. Sooner or later, the rule of law begins to break down and people stop respecting the government for imposing lockdowns on them and they start getting out of their houses and we see another wave of this virus spread. The government needs to act faster in what it's doing to find medical cures. And I realize it can only go so fast, but the whole idea of we're going to have a clinical trial and it's going to last for four months and we'll get an idea of what to advise doctors. No, I think we better let the doctors conduct the experiments on their patients right now if the patients are willing. All right, I I, I got to tell you guys, because I mentioned wanting to see Onward, the new Pixar movie. Um, so when my wife was young, her mom died. My wife was in first or second grade when her mom died. And so we watched Onward uh, this weekend. Uh, Disney stepped up its release. It's the new Pixar movie. Uh, the voices are, are Tom Holland and Chris Pratt. And it, y'all, y'all, I didn't really know what to expect going into this movie. Uh, if you've had a death of a parent, you may not want to watch this movie. Uh, you, my wife was left in complete meltdown at the end of the movie. It's, essentially, the plot is, and there really aren't a lot of spoilers here, but you, you do need to understand the basic plot. You, you, if you need to step away, okay, but uh, fair warning here. It's it's uh, two boys, the youngest, two brothers. The youngest is 16, and they they find their father had a, a essentially wizard staff and, and had found a spell that could bring him back for 24 hours. And they go on a quest to find a, a magic stone they need to bring their father back to life uh, for 24 hours. And by the end of that movie, my wife was in free fall melt. It was, it was an ugly cry. 
Um, so I'm just, I'm telling you, I, I told you guys I wanted to see the movie. I was looking forward to it. I heard good things, but I had no idea. Oh, I felt so terrible. I was the one who recommended family movie night. We had the kids in there with my wife and my wife is in total meltdown. The kids, by the way, the kids loved the movie. The kids thought it was great. Um, but they, they did not have the emotional strain that my wife had in watching the movie. Uh, so just full warning to you, my kids loved the movie. My wife, on the other hand, did not. Um, it was just tread carefully there. Tread carefully there. <laughs> if you decide to watch this movie, I'm still trying to find stuff to watch on TV. And at least they are stepping stuff up. But I'm noticing the trend from the Hollywood studios right now is they're releasing all of the bad stuff that didn't do well at the box office. You know, Onward did not do well at the box office at all. Now I know why I haven't seen it. If, if, if I wasn't married to my wife, I would have watched the movie and thought, okay, this is a, this is a good Pixar movie. Uh, it's, it's emotional. It's touching as a dad, uh, two kids trying to reconnect with their dad. I, I, I get it. It pulls on your heartstrings, but wow. Um, but all these movies that Hollywood is rushing out, they're like, yay, we're releasing Sonic the Hedgehog. Early, uh, yeah, because it sucked at the box office. <laughs> I, I just, I mean, okay, who thought um, Trolls World Tour? That that's the the sequel to the movie Trolls, which you may not have seen. Their their world tour is is the sequel. Universal is releasing it, streaming and on demand uh, instead of the box office. So many of these Hollywood studios are releasing their crap right now. Oh, that wasn't going to do well at the box office. And they're going to say, oh, well, it, it, it would have done excellent at the box office. But because of the virus, no one's watching movies at the theater. And so we're having to adjust. And it's all the virus's fault. It's not actually our fault. Yo, no, no. They're pushing the bad movies out. Listen, if that was the case, if they were just doing it for public service, Disney would be pushing Milan out today. But Disney knows it's going to be a good movie. Same with Black Widow. They would be pushing Black Widow out today, but they're not. They're saving those for another day at the box office because they know they're good movies. Meanwhile, Onward, which tanked at the box office, even though it was actually good, uh, and Trolls, the world tour, and, and some other Sonic the Hedgehog, they're suddenly on demand in the theaters want you to think that, or the movie studios want you to think they're being heroes and the virus. No, they're ditching their bad stuff now and taking write-offs and blaming the virus as opposed to their movie sucked. This is what you can expect. Unreal. All right, I'll be back here tomorrow. See you guys later. Have a great rest of the day.